We are going to go on and build on what we talked about last week. So if you did not catch last week, uh, you might want to go listen to that. It'll make this week make more sense. Uh, well, at least it could. It possibly. It still could not make sense, and that's okay. But at least you got a better shot if you know what I'm referencing from last week. So uh, just by way of review, last week... Oh, and also... Um, I gave you homework last week uh, at the bottom. I told you uh, it would be interesting to go read Isaiah 4, and I put in there verses 2 through 3, uh, which was a mistake. It's verses 2 through 6, which is almost the whole chapter. Uh, so those couple verses that I skipped are the ones that actually made sense with what I was talking about. So if you're thinking, what the heck, uh, that's why. So read a few more verses, and it'll make sense. Uh, the homework, correct that to... Basically, Isaiah 4, you can just skip the first verse. Okay, so last week, uh, we talked about pursuing the presence of God. How uh, we, uh, it's not wrong to pursue the presence of God. We're supposed to pursue the presence of God. And we, we talked about how worship creates the place of his presence. Psalm 22, 3, remember, he inhabits praises. He dwells in the midst of praises. He is enthroned in praises. We talked about how the tabernacle of David that Amos prophesied would uh, be a future thing is actually the church in worship bringing the presence of God. All that the tabernacle of David had was the ark, which represented the presence, and worshipers around it in a tent over it. That's it. Nothing else. And so... Uh, we talked about all that last week, and I want to make sure you have that foundation about the presence uh, and our worship being what creates the place for his presence. So in other words, we can, you know, if we build it, he will come, that kind of thing, right? We build a, a little tabernacle of David here, uh, he'll show up, and we get to experience his presence. Now, so today, the title is greater presence. Right away, just from the title, that can inspire some really good arguments. Um, there are going to be people that, that immediately take issue with the concept that there can be greater presence. Uh, here's what I mean. Uh, didn't God already give us all of himself? Don't we already have the Holy Spirit of God living in us. Don't we have, we want to have part of God, we have all of God, right? Don't we have, didn't God offer to us his fullness? And I say, yes, I absolutely agree that is true. God has made available to us the fullness of Christ. Amen? But how many of you are regularly experiencing the fullness of Christ? Because I know I'm not, and I think I could tell if you were. I think it would show, Right? And so the reason I'm teaching this this morning is it's not enough for me to have the theoretical, doctrinal, full presence of God. I want the actual, experiential, full presence of God. So that's what I'm talking about this morning. So if don't get hung up on, that, on the semantics of how much of God do we have. It's probably more of how much of us does God have, Right? Because uh, he's, he's really willing to fill vessels. We just got to get them ready for him. Amen? So that's what we're talking about this morning. And in that context, I want to talk more about presence, uh, about the presence of God and about greater presence. 
uh, in that context, experientially speaking, how many of you would like a greater presence of God? How many of you would like, and you understand what I'm talking about when I say, wouldn't it be cool if we had a greater presence of God here at Church in the Rock? And I'm hoping you'd say, yes, I heard an amen. That's good. I'm in the right room, right? Yeah, so we aren't hung up on the theological part of it. We want the real part of it. I want people who don't even know Jesus to come in here and go, God's here. Happened to me one time, I've told you about that at youth. Uh, we had a kid came in, he was just as rough as he could be, didn't know Jesus, didn't pay a lick of attention to my entire teaching. Then we started worshiping, and I noticed he was back on his face, on his hands, on his elbows and knees, on his face. And I thought, well, this looks interesting. So I went over and tapped him on the shoulder, and he looks up at me, he goes, dude, God's here. That was it. I left him alone. Like, I can't anything to that. That's what I'd like. I'd like people who don't even know Jesus going, dude, God's here. Yeah? Well, I'm going to tell you how to do that. Okay. So, let's start with what the Bible says about the presence of God, and we're going to work our way up to the good stuff. So, first of all, there's the omnipresence, that God is everywhere. Uh, Psalm 139 expresses this really well. Where can I go from your spirit or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. Uh, some people feel like God's too holy to be where a devil is or something like that. And I'm like, no, tell me one place the Holy Spirit isn't. Anyone? Amen. He's everywhere. And so that's what it means by omnipresence. The question is, how aware are we of that? In Colossians 1.17, uh, he gets into quantum physics here, for those of you who are like that. Um, I know a lot of you probably just do that in your spare time. Uh, says, and he is before all things, speaking of Jesus, and in him all things consist or are held together. All things are held together in him. Now, uh, what that means, uh, the reason that has to do with quantum physics is, um, and I'm going to use really technical terms here, uh, atoms should not stay together because you have a bunch of like particles that are repelling each other, and yet every atom, the nucleus, stays together. Science calls this, these are the technical terms, the strong force because all we know is something really strong holds all that together and we don't know why. There you go. That's the technical explanation. And so it sounds very intelligent, doesn't it? The strong force. What does that mean? We don't know why atoms stay together. Something really strong must be doing it. That's it. They're currently, the Higgs boson thing's a big deal because they're looking for mass. They're looking for enough mass to mathematically explain why all those things work together and make the formulas work. I think if they begin to factor in the eternal weight of glory, it might... It might give him enough mass. I don't know. Uh, the point is, God literally holds everything together. He's in everything. And most of the world is completely unaware of this. And even if we're aware of this, uh, it's hard to be aware of it more than intellectually. It's hard to go through your day thinking, you know, if God ever lets go, I just go and, you know. But that's real. God is everywhere holding everything together. Amen. Amen? Amen? And so that's the omnipresence. So then we go to the next one, the indwelling presence. And we talked about this last week. You'll know this, 1 Corinthians 3.16. Don't you know 
that you are the temple of God and the Holy Spirit of God dwells within you. You guys know that, right? Now, let's just think about some of this stuff, and, and we should think deeply sometimes about some of this stuff. Uh, if, if God already is holding everything together, then the Holy Spirit dwelling in me, is that different? Is that greater than someone who doesn't know God and just has God holding all his cells together? Well, of course, we think it is, don't we? So right there, again, you've got a greater presence. God's not just holding you together. He's inside you. And so that's why I have these questions here for us to think about. Are we aware that God dwells in us and his presence is in us? Uh, Are we aware that it's a greater presence than just his omnipresence in the earth? And are we aware that it has effect? As God's presence increases, uh, there is effect, which is really what we're after. I'm not really that interested in the theoretical presence of God. I'm interested in the presence of God that affects my life, right? And so uh, Romans 8 tells us one of those effects that the indwelling presence has. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. That sounds like an effect. So unbelievers may have their cells being held together by God, but I have the Spirit of God in me somehow giving a life to my mortal body, Amen. right? I think this has physical implications. I think this has spiritual implications because there's physical life and there's spiritual life. And both of those things potentially are abounding in me. And so we want to get that, don't we? Does this make sense? So I sub- submit to you that the indwelling presence of God is somewhat greater, at least experientially, than the omnipresence of God. Let's keep going. Uh, I'm going to, I'm just naming these, so this isn't a theological term, this is just a name I made up, so feel free to make up your own, but I'm going to call this the attentive presence of God. When uh, we begin, usually when we begin to pay attention to God, and He begins to pay attention to us, and again, same questions. Are we aware of this? Is this a greater presence than just knowing that God dwells in me, right? Because if I ask anybody who uh, is a believer and who's read their Bible a little bit, does the Spirit of God live in you? And I'll go, yes. Uh, and, if I, and if I say, well, do you tell me how you experienced that? A lot of believers will say, well, I don't really experience it. I just know it. I read it in the Bible. I know he's there, but he's real quiet. He doesn't, make a, doesn't seem to do anything, right? Or maybe he does. He just doesn't tell me about it. I'm just kind of believing he's doing stuff and I can't notice, right? You with me? A lot of us have lived like that, haven't we? And I think there's more. And so... Let's go to this more. The attentive presence, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. So if he's already dwelling in me and dwelling in Tim and dwelling in Art, what's different when Tim and Art and I get together that causes him to come in our midst? Is that greater? Yes. Sounds like it is, doesn't it? And so we need to think about these things. What's that mean? What does that mean? And it says... Uh, 
Two or three are gathered in my name. I don't think it counts if it's just three Christians in the same room. I think it's in his name. I think it's we gather and our attention and our focus is on him. And he goes, hey, they're paying attention to me. I'm going to pay attention back. So it's something greater. And again, uh, is, is there effect? Do we experience this? I, I just think these are things we need to think about. Does that make sense? And so uh, I love in Malachi uh, 3.16, it says, Those who feared the Lord spoke to one another, and the Lord listened, and he heard them. So a book of remembrance was written before him for those who fear the Lord and meditate on his name. So I, I, I just look at the picture of this. Some, so there's some people who fear the Lord, and they meditate on his name, and they begin to talk to each other. So let's just imagine, you know, Federico and Teresa and Jasmine are talking about God. And look at this from heaven's perspective. They're just talking about God. They may not even be aware of what's happening in the spirit. And God goes, whoa, 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 wait a minute, angels, settle down. They're talking about me. I want to listen to this. I'm going to pay attention. Wait, did you hear what Jasmine just said? Scribe angel, write that down. Write that down. I want to keep that. What do you think? That changes your whole perspective, doesn't it, Jasmine? Yeah. And this is Bible. I'm not making this stuff up. There's something about when our attention is directed to him that his attention focuses in on us. I love Song of Solomon 4.9. It says, you have ravished my heart with one glance of your eye. Right? So, Jerry and Laura are having their morning prayer time, and, and they just begin to gaze at God, and God goes, oh, wait, wait. I, I can't do this right now. I have to look at Jaren and Laura. They're looking at me. It's ravishing my heart. Amen. Amen. I just have to focus on them right now. I just have to give them my attention. Now, I don't know how God gives each of us his full attention all the time. That's what makes him God. Amen. I can't do that. I can barely give my full attention to one thing for 10 minutes. Yeah, maybe a minute. But he does that. So there's this sense that when we specifically direct our attention to him, that something increases, something is greater. There's a greater focus, a greater intensity, a greater presence. You following me? So again, I'm not, I'm not talking about the theoretical. I'm talking about the actual experiential presence of God. So let's talk about the actual experiential presence of God. There is an experiential presence of God. This is where awareness is no longer a question, where everybody in the room is aware the presence of God is here. You guys have experienced that, right? And uh, again, is this greater? I think it is. Does it have effect? I think it does. A uh, couple verses. Uh, you will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Now, joy and pleasure is an experience, Right? This is not just theoretical. This is not just, is God here? Yes, God's everywhere. God's here. God's in the room. This is, no, God's here, and I'm feeling incredible joy and pleasure, and I'm experiencing him. He's not just theoretically here. He's here so I can tell, right? The experiential presence of God. Acts 3.19, we already talked about. Times of refreshing come from the presence of the Lord, right? Right? How many of you have experienced that, where you were, you were 
feeling tired or whatever, and you got in the presence of the Lord and you felt refreshed. This is experiential. This is good. We want this, right? And so this is a greater presence. This is the experiential presence of God. I want to give you an example of this, talk about effect. Um, I've told some of these stories before, but I never remember who's heard them. So if you heard it before, then you just get to hear it again. But uh, we were on a youth retreat. We would do these youth prayer retreats that were really good. Uh, one of them, uh, during our prayer time, I had wandered into the room where we're going to have our big group meeting later. And uh, Reuben Mayer was in there just playing the keyboards and leading worship. And then the Prince of God got real strong. And, got, and so it's just he and I in the room. I'm walking around praying. He's worshiping. And the Prince of God just keeps getting stronger. To, at some point, he's no good to me anymore. He's just crying. He's not even playing the piano. And uh, so I'm just enjoying myself. And then it all kind of settles down. And he's, he's done. He's, he's just sitting there quietly. And I'm just sitting there quietly. It's about time for a meeting. And the youth start walking in. And, uh, and it was really, I didn't expect this, uh, but it was kind of fun to watch. So they'd walk in, and they'd walk in down the back hall, and you could hear them talking and coming up the stairs, walking in the back hall. And as they came into the room, they'd just be talking, and they'd go, and they'd just walk over and sit down. And I watched it again and again and again, every single youth that came into the room. It's like they walked into the presence of God. No one had to tell them that the presence of God was there. That's a pretty serious effect. How many of you can stop teenagers in mid-conversation like that? And yet God performed that miracle again and again and again. As they walked into the room, they just stopped and went and sat down. And I'm 10 minutes in, the youth all got there, and, I, and we haven't even started the meeting. We're all just sitting there in the presence of God. Guys, that's tangible. That's, I didn't have to tell them. They were aware of that. That's real. That's pretty cool, right? So that's a greater presence than just the Spirit dwells in me, and I hope He helps me not screw up today, right? You understand what I'm saying? So we have this experiential presence of God. Now, I want to explore the last one I want to talk about. Uh, because this is where it gets interesting. And I'm going to lean some on my experience here. Um, what I'm going to call the increasing presence of God. Very simply, James 4.8 says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Now, if James were here, I might ask him, James, doesn't the Holy Spirit dwell in me, like inside of me? How can I get any closer than him living in me? How do I draw near to something that dwells in me? And James might go, well, there are ways. There are ways to draw near to the God who lives inside you. And we know those ways, don't we? And so again, if we just think in the physical term of where God is located, this won't make sense. But if we think of God who is spirit, and life, and our hearts that uh, are easily distracted, uh, then we go, okay, God is in me, but I have to draw near to him. Even the God in me, I have to draw near to, to experience his presence. I draw near to him, he draws near to me. James was talking to believers, right? He wasn't talking about getting the Holy Spirit, he was talking about getting near God. Now, here is 
an excellent question. Actually, my favorite question of the day. Is there a limit to this drawing near to God? I draw near, he draws near. Can I draw nearer? And will he draw nearer? Can I keep going? Is there, you think so? How many of you have experienced that? How many of you have noticed that God never stops first? So there's this unlimited drawing near. Now, my experience is that sometimes this takes time. You guys get really serious about this. Uh, we might not be getting done at 11.45 every Sunday. But uh, it's not like that's my goal. If we just do it longer, we'll get more. I'm saying if we get more, we'll probably want to stay longer. Uh, right? I'm not big on forcing stuff. I want the real stuff. Right? Anyway, just warning you, that's how it happens. Because I have experience with that. Way back when we were doing youth and we were having a move of God among the youth, uh, some of you who are older now uh, remember this. Uh, I, I totally switched the way I did youth. I did the teaching first. Uh, some people feel like the worship prepares the teaching. I kind of felt like, let's do the teaching to prepare people to enter into the presence of God. So uh, I would do the teaching first, and then we would do worship after. And the reason was God kept showing up, and I kept having to end at 8.30 because that's when the parents are coming to pick up their kids. And, and the presence of God was thick in the room, right? And so here's what I would do. This is my brilliant solution to this problem. Uh, at 8.30, I'd say, uh, you're dismissed if you want to leave. Don't get me in trouble with your parents. We're going to keep worshiping. And uh, we would do that. And actually, some of the parents started coming in and hanging out in the back uh, because the presence of God was here. And it made adults want to go to youth group. Um, so... But we made them stay in the back because, you know, they weren't teenagers. So uh, anyway, typically every time about half the youth would leave and about half of them would stay. And immediately within just a few minutes, the presence of God would just go up a notch. And we would, and we would find it. How many of you remember those? A few of you here. A few of you. Yeah. Okay. So uh, we would, and we would. Typically, not, you know, we would go till 9 or 9.30 just because it took that long for them to be satisfied uh, with whatever God was doing. Every once in a while, it'd go real long. We had one night where I can remember we were right up here, and there was only a handful of us at this point. It's about, it's about 10.30, and, but, but the presence of God is so strong. We've hit, I've only experienced this, I've been a Christian something like 38 years. I've only experienced this three times where the holiness of God is tangible. You don't have to, I mean, you're feeling the holiness of God. No one has to say we should repent or, you know, don't talk. <laughs> uh, no one, you're just, everyone in the room goes, he's holy. And we're all on our knees. And so it's about 1030 and we're still here because that's what's going on. And we're just up here experiencing the holiness of God. Now, I don't know why it took till 1030 to get to that point, but... I've only experienced that a handful of times. And it was amazing. And it, it, it's, it's profound. You can't live there because you can't get anything done. Because all you can do is kneel down and go, I'm just not saying anything. God's holy. But it was awesome. And it took drawing near and then drawing near and then drawing near. Guys, I, I don't think there's a limit. I would like to go there. 
I can't go there without you guys. Right? Uh, so let me show you. I want to go on to the next thing here. Uh, there are three errors that I have noticed that are common, I think, that we do in church or that we believe. And I want to explain these three errors and uh, the reason I'm teaching what I'm teaching today. They're these. The first one is uh, low expectations, that the highest expectation we have is that God's indwelling presence uh, will somehow help us to do better and sin less, and that's it. That we don't really expect to hear his voice or experience his pleasure or have his presence be tangible in our midst. And a lot of Christians live that way. And that's it. That's as high as they get. And so the first thing I'm doing today is just trying to raise our expectations. We can have a lot more than just, you know, God's presence is in the room. A lot more. God wants to do that. So our first mistake is to limit all of this to just his indwelling presence. We can have more. You guys believe that? Okay. Now it may take some pressing in to do that. The second one is we become hesitant. And here's the underlying lie that we believe. Um, a lot of Christians believe when they come to church on Sunday morning that God's presence may or may not be there, but that that's because God is sovereign and God decides one Sunday I'm going to come and one Sunday I'm not. I've got something else to do. Right? No. A lot of us believe this. We're honest with ourselves. Well, God will do what he wants. He showed up Sunday. It was good. And eh, this Sunday, nothing much happened. And we don't realize that it's on us to draw near. So we, we are hesitant to put pressure on God to respond to us. He likes, remember? When we gaze at him, it captivates his heart. When we draw near, he draws near. He likes us to put pressure on him to respond to us. Just because he doesn't do it quickly like McDonald's doesn't mean he's not doing it. Right? He might just be enjoying himself. You're going, come God. And he's going, I'm just enjoying you guys. Let me just enjoy you for a while. I'll do something in a minute. He's done that a lot. I've been in the presence of God. And I'm just listening to him. God, what do you want to do? And God just goes, just let me enjoy this. I'll do something in a minute. I'm like, All right, I'll shut up. Because I'm trying to figure out what to do with the room, you know. He enjoys it. We, he does not determine his presence apart from our influence. That's what I want you to get. We influence the presence of God in the room. Because he responds to us. Amen? The third thing is this. We can get easily satisfied. We have no expectation beyond his presence. What happens is... Um, especially if church has been dry or, or you rarely experience the presence of God. You get the presence of God and you go, hallelujah, I'm feeling it. I'm getting times of refreshing from the presence of the Lord. This is the pinnacle. This is awesome church. Let's do this for 10 minutes and then let's go home. That's as good as it gets, right? Well, it's not as good as it gets. That's just how low our expectations have gotten. That if we get the presence of God a couple times, we're like, that's good. Now, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with resting in the presence of God. Uh, it's certainly okay and good, and sometimes that's all God wants, is just for us to rest in his presence and be refreshed and to enjoy him. I'm saying 
if that's as high as our expectation is, we've missed something because there's more. There's beyond his presence. There's more stuff. Sometimes what he wants us to do when we get his presence is go a little deeper and get the more. Let me talk to you about the more. Now, uh, before I do that, I want to say this. I'm not talking about hype. I really hate hype. In fact, I will ride the brake probably more than I need to to avoid hype. Um, now, part of that might be because, as I've said in the past, I have, you know, like the emotional range of a cow. So, uh, I don't hype well. <laughs> but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about just pumping up the atmosphere. All right? I'm talking about the real activity of God, going for that. You understand? Now, that being said, let me tell you a story, uh, which I call the presence, power, glory story. Um, there's a church in New York that we're in a relationship with, such a good relationship that uh, Aaron went up there and, and stole Brandy from that church and brought her back here. <laughs> Amen. It's good. You young people, that's how it's supposed to work. You go get a first round draft pick, bring them back. <laughs> go somewhere else. Laura was the first one that did that. She went and got Jer, brought him back <laughs> from Kansas City. All right. Uh, anyway, so they invite us up. We've gone up there. We've done a couple things at their church. They invite us up to do a youth retreat uh, at this really cool uh, retreat center in some the mountains somewhere in New York. I don't know where we're, upstate New York. It's very pretty. There's a lot of teenagers, and we're doing a youth retreat. And I'm leading it. Rachel and I are doing all the stuff. And so... I'm praying, going, God, what do you want to do? We got three meetings. The first meeting, he goes, he goes, ask for my presence. I said, okay, can we have your presence? And I'm just praying into that. So we go into the meeting, and the presence of God just comes and worship, and he's thick in the room, and everybody's, you know, the teen, and you can tell with teenagers, because you guys might fake it, but they'll just stare at you if nothing's going on. They're just like, I dare you, you know? <laughs> So this is not happening. They're all, their hands up, eyes closed, God's in the room. They're having a blast, right? And so I'm like, all right. And in fact, it's so good because I'm so used to how you kind of used to usually have to bring teenagers along a couple meetings. And maybe by the third meeting, you start getting there. I'm, I'm, we get done. I go, well, God, I'm good. You know, that was, that was what we were after. You did it. Now what? Because I can't think of anything else. I figured that was the pinnacle, right? We got the presence of God. That's what we were after. We're done. We have two more meetings. I'm not sure what to do. And God says, ask for my power. And I went, okay. And so the next meeting, I cleared out all the chairs. And I said, we're going to worship. And God's going to come like he did last time. And so we did. And God came. And then we start praying for people. And uh, it's hard to describe. Long story short, we got people out in the spirit all over the place. And... I don't know what's going on. It's clearly the power of God. It's really hard to keep track of at that point. Things are happening, and I'm not doing them. Uh, that's all I can tell you. Uh, and it was, well, I'm doing some of them, but, you know, I'm only minimally involved. The power of God is, is he's not, he's, he's gone beyond me. He's doing his own thing. I'm just trying to keep up. So, pretty good meeting. So, we get into our third meeting, and I'm really, I'm like, God, really, that was even better than I expected uh, so I really have no idea what we're doing on this third meeting because, you know, that was pretty good. And he goes, ask for my glory. I said, all right. Now, here's all that happened. Same kind of stuff. We still have the presence of God. We still have the power of God. But 
um, about, we're getting towards the end of the meeting, and I keep smelling, and I don't have, a, I broke my nose a couple times, so I don't smell that well, and I keep smelling this strong, sort of aromatic, fragrant, woodsy kind of, it's, it's interesting, I can't really describe it. And I'm thinking, what's going on? Is there something? So I go. I actually leave and go out and look next door. Is there a fireplace going? Is there something? So I'm going around the building, and I cannot identify. And the smell's not out there. It's just inside. But there's nothing. All that's in there is teenagers. I know it's not them. So, <laughs> right? Because we've been there for 36 hours now. So, uh, so all of a sudden it occurs to me. Uh, I stop and I go, hey. How many of you are smelling this? This smells like, and every hand in the room goes up. And I go, oh, it's the presence of God. It's tangible. We can actually, we're actually smelling the presence of God. Now, that's not that big a deal. But it was cool because it, cho- it told me something. I'd asked for his glory. And he, he manifested in some tangible, physical way. Now, I, I read stories about this. I've heard stories about this, about gold dust and, uh, you know, clouds, glory clouds and uh, real cool, and I've heard stories about lights appearing. I think that's what Paul was talking about when Eutychus fell out of the window. Because he, he said uh, he preached till midnight and there were many lights in the room. I'm like, why would Paul bother in one of his epistles to tell us? And we had lamps because it was dark. I don't think that's what he was saying. I think, I think it was angelic presence. It was, it was the glory of God. In some, it, it's a, just a broad, my definition, I think it's when God manifests in some physical way in the room, and everybody sees it. And so, that we've, you know, oil, I've had the oil on my hands thing for no reason. I'm like, where'd that come from? Uh, so, I don't know. It was kind of fun. So, here's what happened. Uh, uh, it's months later, we're back here. This is back when Stuart Greaves was one of our assistant youth leaders, and uh, we're doing something, I don't remember what, but God takes me through the exact same progression, presence, power, glory. And I go, okay, that's twice. I'm talking to Stuart afterwards. I said, that's twice God's had me do that. This has to be in the Bible somewhere. And Stuart goes, yeah, it's Psalm 63. And I went, well, okay. And so I went and looked. And I've given it to you here so you can look at it. Oh, God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. That's what we talked about last week, pursuing the presence of God, seeking him, right? My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. So I have looked for you in the sanctuary, that's his presence, to see your power and your glory. And I went, well, there we go. So we can go beyond presence to power. So the next time you're experiencing God's presence, maybe you can go, could we move on to experiencing your power? Maybe you can go, can we move on to experiencing your glory? I don't know if they always go in exactly that order, but I know the first one is presence always. So worship brings the presence of God, right? Psalm 22, 3. He inhabits our praises. But when we get there, We can pursue beyond presence. And this is what I want you to get. This is where we lower our expectations. We think having God in the room is the pinnacle of our experience. No, there's more. There's a great example of this in 2 Kings 3. Elisha, the prophet. um, Jehoshaphat has gone to talk to the king of Israel, who's a wicked, Jehoshaphat was a good king. The king of Israel, I forget his name at this time. He's just one of the several wicked kings they have. And uh, they're going to go to war, and Jehoshaphat says, well, let's check with 
some prophets before we go. See if this is God's idea. You want? You got any prophets? And uh, Joseph says, yeah, and he gets his, you know, his prophets of various gods, whatever. I don't know what. And Jehoshaphat goes, yeah, you have any real prophets? Uh, <laughs> and he goes, let's go find Elijah. Elisha, I'm sorry. So they go find Elisha. And Elisha's attitude, this is faith for you. Elisha's attitude is basically, I don't even want to prophesy to you guys. He, he, he tells the king of Israel, if it weren't for Jehoshaphat being here, I wouldn't even be having this conversation, dude. I'm, but in honor of Jehoshaphat, okay. And so he's going to prophesy. So he needs to prophesy. And it sounds like he's got a bad attitude. So let's read what he does. In 2 Kings 3.15, it says, But now bring me a musician. Why? Because God inhabits praises. He is not ready to prophesy. So he says, God, bring me a musician. Then it happened when the musician played the hand of the Lord came upon him. And the next thing that started happening is he starts prophesying. Seems like Elisha understood, I got to start with presence before I can get to the prophesying, right? Let me give you another example. How many of you have heard of uh, Bethel Church in California? Uh, Bill Johnson, several of you, okay? Now, Bethel Church got pretty famous for having that they, they, by the way, unashamedly, unapologetically pursue hard the presence of God. They preach it. They go for it. We want the presence of God. Uh, as that happened, they started getting lots of healings, the power of God. So on Sunday mornings, they were having so many people get healed that people started coming from around the country and around the world to get prayer to be healed out there, right? And so they've got people staying in hotels for the weekend so they can come Sunday morning to get prayer to be healed. And someone at Bethel has this bright idea. We got all these people spending the day in a hotel on Saturday waiting for Sunday to get healed. Why don't we do a Saturday healing room? And so they do it. Sounds brilliant, doesn't it? So here's what happens. They do a Saturday healing room. They get all the people on Sundays that they usually use, or some of them anyway. They get some people to pray for healings. And they go and they set up and they have the people come advertise and sick people come and they interview them they take 10 or 15 or 20 minutes interview them find out why they're sick and they pray for them and guess what happens no one's getting healed and months later the guy who started this he's down to one volunteer and himself and he's about ready to throw in the towel because it's not happening but he's going one last time to God to pray and God says uh, tells him this he says look you won't fix your problems by focusing on your problems. And so he goes, all right, let's change our focus. And so this is all he does. Are you ready? He goes, he gets all the people that kind of bailed on the prayer room because no one's getting healed on Saturdays. It's just happened on Sunday morning. And he goes, gets them back. And he says, we're going to try something different. Let's give this a shot. And so he gets them all in there. And he goes, we're just going to worship, and we're just going to get the presence of God. And they, if it's an hour and a half, if it's two hours, they just don't let anybody in until they have the presence of God. So they wait, and when they feel like they, they really have the presence of God, then they start letting people in to get prayer for healing. They're not interviewing them. They're just going, what do you need prayer for? And they're praying for them. And guess what started happening? People started getting healed. They started with the presence, and they went beyond. Are you, are you following me? We've talked about hearing God. I, uh, 
if I really need to hear God, uh, typically what I'll do is, you know, I have a decision to make or something or whatever. I'll, I'll, I'll go home and get away from distractions, go out, sit on my back porch in a rocking chair. Rocking chairs help. And, uh, but here's what I do. I never start with the issue. I never start with the issue. I never start with the question, God, I need to hear you about this one. I just try and get his presence. And then, once I've gotten there, remember we talked about last week uh, that uh, Moses said his presence is our rest. He said, I will go with you. My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. His presence is our rest. His presence, we hide ourselves in the secret place of his presence from the plots of man. It's the place of rest. It's the place of peace. I never start with trying to hear God. I always start with just worshiping and getting his presence and getting in the place of peace. And when I get there, then I have a conversation. God, what do, I, what do you want me to do about this? And it works a lot better than starting with the conversation. Are you following me? Okay, does this make sense to you? How many of you want a greater presence of God in your life? Good. Okay, now again, I warn you, um, sometimes uh, this takes, you know, I don't know if it's going after God harder or going after God harder, but it just takes pressing in. So sometimes we just have to be intentional about it. And uh, I can't make it happen for you. I am utterly dependent on you. Uh, the presence of God depends on all of us in this room. We all contribute positively or negatively to what happens in this room. Right? So, uh, but I will do this. Next Sunday is a worship Sunday, coincidentally, uh, where we'll be putting the band up and I won't be teaching. We'll just be worshiping all Sunday, all morning and seeing what God wants to do. And you can go as far as you want. Right? Make sense? All right. We also have about 20 minutes left. So I'm going to encourage Rachel to bring the band up. And it just seems like since we're talking about this, it would be good to finish with a little bit of worship. Now, I have no expectations, just I want, I'm, it excites me that I can have these things. I hope you're excited, and I just want to give you <laughs> a little bit of opportunity to express that excitement to God, and then Brian will come close us, and we'll go home, unless... You know, you guys go really crazy and a glory cloud comes in and no one can stand up. Then we have to stay here. Okay? I, I just want to share something real quick. Sometimes when Tony is, uh, he doesn't tell, I don't know what he's going to talk about all the time. I get his notes. But when he tells these stories and other stories come to mind, I'm like, oh, oh, can I, can I add this? Can I add this? So I'm adding this. Is that okay, babe, wherever you are? Um, on the two profound things he's talking about, the Poughkeepsie trip, and the night he talked about, we worshiped until 1030. Um, those two times were very profound because the presence of the Lord actually changed our hearts. So I remember, Laura, you were there. I'm going to cry. You cannot look at someone and not feel love. It was almost like you were so overwhelmed with love, you didn't want to look up because you would just be like, oh, you know, and, and these, are, these guys are going to leave me one day. I can't love them anymore because they're going to grow up and go away. And, and the same thing with Poughkeepsie. There was just this profound presence. I don't remember the love element being so strong, but there was such a love for the Lord. And you felt so changed and so clean. And you didn't want to leave each other's company. So the youth night, we said, we don't want to leave each other's company. Let's go eat. 
So we trek over to Wendy's, and God went with us. It was a good time. Then we said, let's go see a movie. And that's where it all went south. So we went to see this movie that I absolutely hated, and all of the kids hated it. Now, if you were to see the movie today, we'd be like, well, it's okay, it's kind of cute. Um, kind of weird. <laughs> but we were so in the presence of God, it changed our desires. It changed what we saw as good. It changed, I saw that movie couple years later on a Thanksgiving weekend, and we were watching it, and I was like, why was I so sick of this? I didn't want to watch. I was like, I don't want to watch it, but I did not have that same, like all the kids wanted to walk out of the theater too. They were, we were all grumbling, remember? We wanted to walk out. Well, the same thing with Poughkeepsie. The day after, um, the pastor's wife and Tony and I were going to go down to the city and see a play which is what we always do with them. And, but again, we were so, we were like, wow, the presence of God was still with us. We still loved, we were just still feeling that sense of the Lord and his goodness. We go down to the city. It was great. We go to the city. It was, God was with us. And then we went to the play and it all went south. I couldn't stand the play. It is a famous play, an award-winning play. Everybody loves this play. If it's playing, you go to New York, you want to see this play. It was dark and yucky and I felt like, I'd lost what I'd had for the weekend. So here's the thing that I want to, the point of also why we go for the presence of God is because it changes us. It changes our desires. And you don't just get it on Sunday morning. You can have it all through the week. You can have it every day. You can have it in your prayer time. You don't desire to look at that thing anymore. It changes your relationships. Love abounded in our hearts in those seasons, and I want that again, and this is why sometimes we tell you guys the prophetic history of the Lord saying the best is not in the past. I don't wanna tell a youth story from the 90s anymore. I wanna tell what happened two weeks ago. I wanna tell what happened 10 years ago. I wanna tell what happened five years ago. I wanna tell what happened today, right? So when we go back into worship, tug on God for that, for your heart that your heart can literally be changed. That thing that you're struggling, you're desiring, he can change it in his presence. That person you're struggling with, he can change it in his presence. So, amen.